Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing good, man. I got a new mic here. My last one started acting up. The little, like, USB plug-in part uh, started getting loose, and it wouldn't hold the cable in. So if you, like, even touch the table, or sometimes even, your my, like, my keyboard, uh, it would wiggle the mic, and it, it would unplug. So... Not good for recording. I think if any of you guys watched YouTube of Zach Cole, like clear example of how that fucks everything up. So uh, glad I got this new mic. Going to be way nicer to it this time. So that way I don't break it. A window into the life of a podcaster. Like, honestly, we do it pretty, uh, we, 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 we do it with the bare minimum. You know, a lot of people have been saying that we're, we're prolific podcasters, but you don't need much to be prolific podcasters. Like we're using free software for the most part. And then, you know, pretty normal, you know, mics that anyone can afford. I think it's pretty amazing. Yes, this is true. So if anyone, if any listener is out there who thinks that they can't get into podcasting, but wants to try it, uh, there's no excuse. It's actually not as hard as it seems. Anyway, speaking of podcasting, we'd like to take a moment to shout out to our sponsors, starting with Realty. Uh, for those of the listeners that do not know, I am the COO of Realty. Uh, we are a tokenized real estate project. So this is my own business, uh, just full disclosure there. Uh, and we recently just announced that we have our, our first property, the first property ever to be tokenized on Ethereum and made available to the public, 9943 Marlowe. That, that name will be burned into my brain forever. We just put it inside of Uniswap. So now uh, owners of 9943 Marlowe can go to Uniswap and buy and sell their token for ETH, otherwise known as money. Uh, and so uh, it's pretty pretty cool announcement. It's the first security token inside of Uniswap. Unfortunately, we can only sell uh, real estate properties to international citizens because technically these are security tokens because the way that this works is that a single U.S. property is put inside of a single U.S. LLC and then the tokens represent shares in that LLC. So by proxy, the tokens are, are shares of a company and these particular shares of a company pay you your rental income that you are owed every 24 hours. So every 24 hours, you receive DAI in your Ethereum wallet uh, based off of how many tokens you own. So it's pretty cool. Are you guys planning to roll out USD buys inside Realty? Or like USD, USD payouts, not just DAI? Oh, yeah, we can do any stable coin. It's just DAI is the most obvious choice and everyone wants it. Cool, cool. For some reason, I thought that you were going to like actually allow people to get cash out at some point. Oh, yeah. No, that's actually totally in the works. Uh, when we integrate with Wire, Wire is such a great company. Uh, we'll, we'll be able to take people's debit card information, uh, and then they'll put that into a field, and then we will send the owed amount of U.S. dollar in the form of DAI to Wire, who will then send U.S. dollar to the debit card that we, that we took from the customer. So when we have this wallet system that we're currently building out, users can come to Realty, make an account, we'll get them a wallet, and then they'll buy a token, and then we'll accrue their DAI in the background. Uh, and then if they want to, they can just cash out to their debit card. So basically all the components of the blockchain are just totally abstracted away from them. That's cool. I mean, uh, it's been awesome seeing you kind of build this thing. So um, happy to have Remy and Realty sponsor the podcast. On to the next sponsor. You guys have heard it before, eToro. Uh, eToro has been in the game for a while uh, they've been making financial products really accessible to people internationally uh, since the early 2000s. And when Bitcoin hit the scene, they integrated Bitcoin uh, pretty quickly. Uh, eToro has been really making a strong push here in, the, here in the United States, really opening up state by state. I know that they recently opened up um, business in, uh, in uh, Jesus, I'm fucking this up here. I'm going to start this ad over. All right, guys, and you guys have definitely heard about eToro. They are our long-term sponsor. eToro is bringing social trading to the United States. They just rolled out this cool new feature inside the application where you really don't need to do anything. You can just follow uh, different strategies or different traders in particular and copy trade everything they do. 
they just had a cool new uh, commercial that came out with Alec Baldwin. David, did you see that commercial? Oh my god, that commercial blindsided me. It was so funny. I'm really yeah. happy that they did that. I mean, I don't want like there are sponsors, but the like I I actually enjoyed the commercial and Etoro has been they've been really been putting kind of like dollars behind Bitcoin and in crypto and getting the word out and they're part of why Bitcoin is a household name um, and their product really seeks to make investing in crypto, investing in Bitcoin um, as easy as possible. Again, like I said, with their copy traders, with their different portfolios, you can um, essentially one click and have any different strategy you want. Uh, you can take your crypto off eToro, so it's definitely a perfect place to invest, hold it there, pull it off, whatever suits your needs. Uh, eToro kind of has it all covered. Make sure to check out eToro at b.tc backslash eToro POV, b.tc backslash eToro POV. Give us credit for sending you there. Um, but yeah, thank you, eToro. On to the podcast, Layton from Pool Together. David, what inspired getting Layton on the pod? I met Layton in Tel Aviv, Ethereal, uh, at the closing ceremony, the, the last last part of the day. So we just grabbed a beer together. And he told me he was the founder of Pool Together. Uh, and I, I knew what Pool Together was. I knew it was a no-loss lottery. It uses the interest of your die uh, to fund the winner and then sends you your die back. But he told me something that really sparked my imagination and really let me view Pool, Pool Together as not just this curiosity, this interesting application, but really a potential structure inside of Ethereum that can exist far into the future. And that one mechanism is the fact that they have this die reserve. And so the way that Pool Together works is that everyone buys tickets with die, that die gets submitted into compound, uh, and then the winner, based off the tickets, gets all of the interest and everyone else gets their die back with no interest. But what they do is they take 10% of the interest paid and stick it into a die reserve. And that die reserve grows and grows and grows. And the interest from that die reserve also gets paid out to the winner. And so what ultimately ends up happening is pool together is subsidizing the compound rate and paying that to the winner which uh, that whole additional mechanism makes things really, really interesting. So I had this old token model in the back of my head that I was one day going to try and figure out how to implement, but it uses Ethereum 2.0 staking mechanism to kind of generate a similar token model. The idea is that if you have less than 32 Ether, you would use my service. You would come and stake your between zero and you know 31.9 Ether with me and other people. Uh, and then I would charge a fee based off of my service, my service for pooling everyone together. So we would charge like a 1% fee. And then all of that ether would be sent to a reserve, which would also be staked. And so the reserve grows from two mechanisms, the staking rate that everyone's getting, but also the growth of my fees from my, from my staking pool uh, company. Uh, and, and so this pool in theory could be tokenized and sold as like a security token as a value accrual token. Uh, and then the funds collected from selling that token would be denominated in ETH. And instead of me, instead of that ETH going to me as a business, it would go to the reserve, which makes the reserve that much bigger already. Uh, and that was super ambitious. Didn't really want to do it. And so when Leighton and I met in, in Tel Aviv, Israel, I immediately saw that I could map on this token model right onto the pool together system. And so I wrote this article, proliferated it out through the Ethereum ecosystem, uh, and just kind of did this hypothetical thought experiment, like what if pool together tokenized its die reserved? Uh, and so that's basically what the content of this episode is, is the, the hypothetical scenario of what if we tokenize the reserve of die as a as a value capture token to yeah i mean it was great to meet layton he actually had me over at the ideo offices where he was hanging out and working in sf uh, so i went down and got to meet him in person got to check out the offices it was really interesting hearing about uh one what a no loss lottery is and two how layton kind of goes about trying to reimagine uh financial instruments that already exist today he really kind of goes into deep about his inspiration for creating a better lottery, something that people, it's, that's not as malicious and kind of has less risk. 
Um, I definitely dug into what I thought were risks that were being kind of uh, glazed over by by proponents of pull together. But at the same time, uh, Leighton answered a lot of tough questions, and I felt he was like actually very honest about kind of the trade-offs that are being made in the system. So uh, really enjoyed talking to him and, and learning about this system and kind of imagining what could come. It was pretty cool after the release of the article and then after we released the uh, video onto YouTube. Uh, if you guys prefer YouTube, you can watch this on our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe, like, and do all that stuff. But since all that content got released, the uh, ticket sales from Pull Together was hanging around an average of 150,000, 160,000 a week, uh, and to where it is now, which is over 300,000 uh, total ticket sales. So uh, POV definitely had a hand in in growing Pull Together's uh, revenue by double. You hear that? You hear that? Sponsors, we can make it happen for you too, and we are. We are double your revenue on POV crypto. Well, I think it's pretty amazing how much. Ripple's, you know, homegrown social media creates and homegrown media creates. So it's a testament to good podcasting, good article blogs and stuff like that uh, to why we can make that happen. But without further ado, Leighton Husack. Do you believe? Leighton Husack of Pool Together. Welcome to POV Crypto. Thanks for coming on. Uh, very happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So, Leighton, we met at Ethereal Tel Aviv, which is where we first started talking yes. about Pool Together and where uh, my mind really, you helped me uh, connect the dots with how uh, big Pool Together could theoretically be. Uh, and that yeah. sp is specifically the die capture mechanism, which we're going to go into later. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation and it, it triggered me to, to write this article that I, I released uh, earlier this week on Monday. Uh, and so we wanted to get you on the podcast to talk about Pool Together, talk about its design, and also talk about um, how Pool Together may or may not tokenize it. Um, so for our listeners yep. who haven't heard of Pool Together or you before, will you kind of give a little bit of background and how you came to Pool Together and then turn into what Pool Together is? Yeah. Yeah. So background on how I came to pool together is um, I was researching basically the history of different economic tools that we have. Um, so history of the stock market, history of the bond market, insurance. And I was researching this all with the goal of trying to um, understand how these things get popularized and come up with something that would be an economic tool similar to these other things that have been invented that would help um, promote economic mobility. And in that research, I came across the idea of prize-linked savings accounts, no-loss lotteries. And so this is an idea that has existed. It's been done in fiat world before, um, but had never been done in the blockchain. And it's a fairly new idea in fiat world, too. But it, and it had never been done in the blockchain. And so when I read about it, I thought, wow, this is like a genius idea. <laughs> and um, it, has, it has the potential to really move the needle on, on one of the largest uh, pieces of our financial ecosystem in the whole world, which is lotteries. And... Um, and it would, it's something that actually would work a lot better on a blockchain, which is you know, pretty unique in that there's a lot of things that don't work better on blockchains, but this is something that works a lot better on a blockchain. So that's, uh, that's kind of the genesis of the, can you explain of the what, idea. Can you explain what those Price things are? Price-linked really no-loss yeah, yeah. so, lottery. Yeah, can you, can you take a step-by-step -step through yeah. that? So uh, the basic concept of a no-loss lottery is you buy a ticket for a chance to win, and if you don't win, you get all your money back. And that sounds way too good to be true. But the way that's possible is the prize comes from all of the interest that's earned on all of the tickets that were purchased. So everyone buys tickets, all that money goes into a pool. Um, there's always a, there's a time delay between when tickets are sold and when um, a, a winner is chosen. And during that time delay, all the money that was used to purchase tickets is earning interest. So the winner is earning the interest on all of the tickets that were purchased. Um, and, uh, and everyone else is, is, if they don't win, there is no losers, right? You can't lose it, but you might not win, but you're still saving money. So the loss is the opportunity cost of capital, not the actual capital itself. Correct. Yeah, so the, the term no loss is in relationship to, you know, a traditional mm -hmm. lottery, that way that would work. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, it's not no loss in the sense of there is an opportunity cost that you're losing, but um, the no loss term is in relationship. It's kind of like saying like non-alcoholic beer, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> 
Okay, so why is it better on a blockchain? So I think the three, four, the four big reasons, one, uh, globally accessible. So it can just mm-hmm. have uh, an economy of scale that you can't have in fiat currency. Two is it is much more um, uh, efficient to run because of smart contracts. Third is because of the transparency and auditability of it. It doesn't need kind of like a third party institution putting its stamp on it. And then the fourth, which actually I'd probably say is the most important one, but I'm putting it last, is it makes it programmable, right? And, and that's kind of what, D- David, you were getting at with your article um, in terms of how it, once it's tokenized, how, what impact that can have. So it, it being programmable also makes it a whole kind of different, uh, different ball game in terms of what the product can do. So I think those are the four reasons it's better on a blockchain. Okay, so let's actually get into the details behind Pool Together. Can you kind of walk a user, give, give us a user story for what happens if a user goes and, and uh, enters into Pool Together? Yes, yes, I'd love to. Hopefully everyone who listens to this podcast will give it a try and send us their feedback. Um, so basically, uh, right now, you have to have DAI. Uh, to you, that's, the, that's what we're using for um, entry into the pool. And one DAI gets you one ticket. And your chances to win are directly proportional to the amount of die you you deposit. So right now, um, as of today, there's 250,000 approximately tickets that have been um, sold. So if you bought one ticket, you would have a 1 in 250,000 chance of winning. Um, Prizes are awarded every uh, seven days. So basically, you would buy a ticket. um, And when you buy a ticket, you're not eligible to win that week's prize. You're eligible to win the next week's and all future weeks. And that's to prevent people gaming the system by just buying like a bunch of tickets right before a prize is awarded. So when you buy a because ticket- Because then they pay no interest, right? Yeah, exactly. They pay, they pay no interest. So when you, uh, yeah, when you, when you buy a ticket, um, you'll be eligible for the next week. And you, you can see, you know, on our, on our site in your account, you can see what your chances are of winning. You can actually see everyone else who's in the pool and who has the highest chances, all of that. And so you just put your money in there. You can take it out at any time. There's no lock on it. So whenever you want to, you can come back and take it out. Um, but while it's in there, it will automatically roll over and be eligible to win again and again and again. And um, if you do win, you your winnings will convert into tickets. So you'll have an even higher chance of continuing to win. And so you can just uh, set, set it and forget it. And so you guys, I, I, I don't know if you mentioned this, but you, you guys put the die inside of Compound. And so the interest comes out of Compound. So if you're buying tickets, you're basically putting your die into Compound as a proxy through Pool Together. And then you may or may not win that interest, right? Correct. Yep, exactly. Yeah. So I guess let's talk about why someone would prefer to buy tickets through Pool Together instead of just going directly into Compound and don't, and just, you know, taking interest off of their die directly. Yeah. So I think the first reason is because it's more fun. And that might sound like a weird reason, but I actually think it's a really important thing. Like one thing I think lotteries teach us about human psychology is that it, it, there are financial tools that are designed for like what humans actually want. And humans actually want to have fun financial products. Um, so I think one reason is it's simply more fun, especially if you have a small amount of die, right? If I have 100 die, you know, I'm earning maybe 50 cents of interest a month or a dollar if interest rates are really high. That's still not really that exciting, but having um, a chance to win, you know, $250 of interest each week is maybe more fun to someone than having a guaranteed dollar. So I think it's more fun. Um, But then also, uh, you know, uh, also for the whales, and and David, this is something I think your article highlighted and brought more attention to. For the whales, we designed the protocol in such a way that um, if you look at it from an effective APR, you're, if you look at your expected return over time, assuming a long enough time horizon, you're actually going to get more money from pool together. So we kind of have this, like, it's fun, but then there's also this economic case for it of this actually is going to um, give you a higher rate of return than putting your money directly in compound. And how does that work? Why is that true? Um, yeah, so that's because the interest that funds the prize is derived from two sources. One is what I already mentioned, all the money that's used to purchase tickets. The other is um, uh, what we have been calling the sponsored die. Uh, David suggested we call it the reserve die, and I actually think it's a much better name, so I think we'll switch it to that. Um, so I'll just go with reserve die for, for, for this, uh, this podcast. So we've been calling it, um, the other is this reserve die. And the reserve die is die that is in the pool and contributes interest to the prize, but is not eligible to win. Um, right now, there's about 53,000 uh, reserve die in the pool. And that's come primarily from just, or pretty much exclusively from, from pool together to like bootstrap 
Um, but the the trick is that um, in addition to the the existing um, the existing reserve die, every time a prize is awarded, ten percent of that um, prize goes into the reserve die. So the reserve die perpetually grows. So the idea is that a prize will always be greater than the sum of the of the eligible tickets for that prize. Um, and I do want to give a shout out to Luke Duncan because Luke Duncan from um, Aragon is uh, is uh, actually the person who gave us that idea of doing the ten percent into the into mm-hmm. the uh, um, uh, into the reserve. The the ten percent cut of the interest yeah. that goes to the die reserve. Yeah. Uh, to me, pulled together as a no loss lottery is this curious thing that is a fun toy. But as soon as you integrate this whole die reserve mechanism, it all of a sudden uh, turns into something much bigger, in my yeah. opinion, because the die reserve um, represents a lot of things. It kind of it kind of represents the equity of pool together. Yeah, uh, it could have been funds that you guys would take as a company, and that could have been how you guys generate revenue. Yeah. But instead, you guys are re. Uh, reiterating it back into the pull together system to act as an incentive for users to come to pull together and buy more tickets. Because basically what the die reserve is, is a growing pool of die that collects revenue, but that also produces revenue yep. for the users. And so it's, it's a company returning revenue back to the users. And it's basically turning pool together into subsidized compound. Um, and I'm going to give a little shout out to myself yes. here because uh, you deserve today it. or yesterday, somebody put uh, 140,000 die into the pool together, um, in, into the pool together, uh, bought, bought 140,000 tickets. So 140,000 die. So a lot more interest is being generated because I think people are now realizing that pool together is just subsidized compound. And so it's compound plus the interest rate of the die reserve, plus the interest rate of, of 53 thousand extra die that will not ever win um and so i think that's actually the really cool thing about pool together and when we get into the topic of actually tokenizing pool together yep. it wouldn't have been possible without the die reserve yeah yeah and so a couple like quick comments on that you know um we did not originally we did what you said originally what we did is we were like 10 percent mm-hmm. goes out out of the protocol to us and that's kind of like our business mm-hmm. model and it was a combination of Luke Duncan's idea to us, as well as just kind of thinking it through of saying like, okay, if we really want to build something that's a, little, a lot more interesting from like an incentive design perspective, let's keep that in the protocol rather than taking it out. Um, and, and I think that we had, we, so we had this idea already, but David, I think what you helped me really, really see, and this is like an amazing community story, I think, just because it's like, you don't even work for Pool Together, but you're really helping us, mm-hmm. is that... Um, uh, we were thinking of it more through the lens of like, oh, we'll get like companies to sponsor it. We'll get like, you know, uh, you know, maker to put 200,000 die in or something like that. But we hadn't thought through, we had played around with like tokenizing it, but we hadn't like really thought it through to the depth that you did. And I think reading your article actually really helped me, it helped it click for me of like, oh, this is how if we tokenize it, that can really take it from, again, maybe like a small novelty part of the protocol to, 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 an essential part of the protocol um okay so there's there's two token models that i talked about in in my article and i kind of want to go through before you get into the article can i ask a quick question though so this 10 percent is supposed to be part of your business model right and you're kind of foregoing it and Mm -hmm. putting it into the protocol uh in order i mean obviously it makes it a lot more interesting right like david uh and you guys just explained what what's the incentive for pull together yeah i mean i think that like we're figuring that out and that's part of like when we talk about the token design i think there is still things there like if we own part of the tokenized reserve right um Mm -hmm. so there's something there but i also think part of it too is that um you know i I was talking to robert at at compound about this too and and um because you know compound right now is not taking a fee um and you know what his comment was you know google didn't know what their business model was for like the first four years <laughs> and so we're in just a new territory we're building new things and um and we're not doing this to make money like we do there is a there is a business necessity to make money to some degree but no one's doing this to make money um we're doing this to uh provide better financial tools to people and um and so i think we'll figure we'll figure something out but i i, I don't i don't i think there is some stuff around the tokenization but 
to some degree, it's it's TBD, and and right now it's just like let's just create the most value we can and just trust that we'll figure out some way to capture some of that. Do you plan like Compound to evaporate the company and just be a pure protocol in twenty twenty five or something along those lines, or is is that not necessarily your incentive or your your I, mo? I would say we do not have an active plan for that, but that would be a great path forward for us, um, and I think that. The, the protocol um, to be for the pro- protocol to be completely decentralized. We are working on decentralizing the protocol. We don't have a plan to dissolve the company. But what I could see in 2025 is the protocol is decentralized and the company is running um, different r- different consumer front end interfaces to the protocol. What does that look like? What does decentralizing pull together look like? Uh, so there's. I think the right word is sorry to cut in here, but I think the right word is not necessarily decentralized, but autonomous, closer to something like Uniswap, right? Where yeah. Uniswap, I guess, is decentralized, but it's really autonomous. It's just well, code. Ethereum that exists theoretically on Ethereum. is decentralized, and you're just the right. contract just needs to be its own thing that's mm-hmm. not mutable without a backdoor. Yeah. So I think decentralized, like, in, you, you, yeah, you might be right. Autonomous, like, what it means is 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 locking it. So taking away, it's an upgradable contract right now. So taking away our upgradable privileges to it, locking us ourselves out of it, and to do that, there's a couple things that we have to um, that we have to um, uh, decentralize, particularly the function of uh, of awarding the prize. Because right now, uh, an admin has to uh, has to for the contract has to like push the button to do that. But there's ways that we can generate entropy um, to award the prize that that don't require any centralized admin. How, how challenging is that? Is that an engineering challenge or is it something that is yet to be figured out? It's an engineering challenge, but, you know, Brendan and Chuck, who are my co-founders, are very brilliant engineers. And uh, and they've kind of already sketched out how they think they can do it um, through Entropy Games. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I, that's a little bit above my pay grade, but uh, I work with some really brilliant people. You guys, I want to tell you about our newest sponsor, Celsius dot network celsius is a really cool application for both lending out your cryptocurrency as well as taking out loans or collateralized uh, loans for your cryptocurrency right so you either collateralize it and take out stable coins or you can lend it out and get interest on your crypto in their savings accounts they have pretty much every mainstream crypto you can think of they support it they support bitcoin they support ethereum they support every single stable coin and they have the absolute best rates on stable coins. It's actually really impressive. Like if you have stable coins, this destroys any sort of like a bank account or anything like that. And the reason why they can get you close to 10% on your stable coins is because they are trying to be a new kind of financial institution with 80% profit sharing and really, really small margins. They are trying to make it as easy as possible. Totally. Uh, the, the rates are, are pretty incredible. I feel like these are these guys are the Binance of borrowing lending platforms just because they accept so many different coins. Uh, Ethereum, Ripple, Bitcoin Cash, Zcash, ZeroX, Dash, Stellar, Paxos, uh, Hong Kong Dollar, Australian Dollar, EOS. Like they, They've got it all. Uh, and, and their rates are pretty insane. So over 8% on USDC right now, uh, 3.75% on Ether, uh, eight, eight, over 8% on Maker, uh, on DAI. Uh, so these rates are all pretty high, higher than, than the DeFi rate right now. So if you guys want to trade your contract risk for centralization risk and get two more percent on your DAI or USDC, Celsius Network is probably the place for you. And if you use promo code POV after you sign up, you can get $10 of BTC when you make a deposit of 200 or more. So if you're going to do it, make sure to get that $10 of BTC with promo code POV. Next up, I want to tell you guys about Bitcoin 2020. Bitcoin 2020, of course, is a conference that is put on by myself and the Bitcoin Magazine team. Getting really excited about this event, we just announced Tony Hawk as our second speaker. Uh, The speaker we announced before that was Nick Zabo. We're trying to change it up, make sure that we have, you know, we kind of uh, differ from the usual crew. Uh, so Bitcoin 2020, we're trying to keep it interesting. We're also keeping it interesting with a complete festival vibe. Anyone that went to Bitcoin 2019 will attest to how much fun it was. Use promo code POV for, I believe it's 25% off your ticket, which are, is already super cheap. But yeah, POV at checkout. Get that 25% off. Make sure to go to the best Bitcoin event of 2020 
in March in San Francisco. Make sure to go to Bitcoin2020conference.com. Okay, so let's let's get back into the the two token models that that I discussed, and maybe there's more, but these were the two that that made sense to me. Yeah. Um, so the one token model, uh, the first one is is very simple, uh, and so you mint a finite supply of an ERC twenty token. Uh, there can never be any more minted, uh, and the ERC twenty token represents one share of the reserve. Uh, and so if you own, if there's a thousand tokens and you own one of them, you own one one thousandth of the of the reserve. Yep. Uh, and you buy this, you buy this token via a contract, and you buy it with Dai. Maybe you sell the tokens for five Dai, uh, and then that five Dai also gets put inside of the reserve. Yep. So the reserve grows by this math is five thousand by five thousand Dai. Obviously, we would make this bigger, but just for examples. Um, and so then you get the share of the reserve. Uh, and if you ever want to access that die, you burn the token, you put, you send it back to the contract, it gets deleted from existence, and then all of that, all, all your share of the reserve gets added to your wallet. Yep. And so it's basically a, a token that represents the equity of uh, the reserve. This token is interesting because it's a total speculation onto the future size of the reserve. So if there's um, if there's 1,000 tokens out there and there's 10,000 die in the reserve, then one token nets you 10 die. But the token will never be less than 10 die and will should always be more than that because it's always a speculation onto the future size yep. of the reserve. Um, basically, you're speculating on the growth of a company in in a, in a way. Um, of the protocol, the, the, right? Of the protocol, yeah. Ooh, in the traditional good. world, it would be a company. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, growth. Of well, I'm using yeah. I'm using the token model as like an this is just an equity model, an equity of yeah. the the company turns into equity of the reserve, yeah. um, putting it into the into terms that people would know if they are from traditional finance. Um, this token model is cool because it adds a lot of speculation to the token. There's like there could be like a, a ratio of like the token is worth two point five times the reserve, maybe five times the reserve. Adds a lot of speculation. No one really knows. But the downside is that uh, you only can sell this token once. And so maybe yep. pool together could have netted a lot more die by a continuous token sale, a continuous token sale model. Um, but if you, I mean, Ethereum, we, we hope has, you know, 100 million users in the next two years. And if this community of like 200,000 only get to buy this token like now, then that, that, that kind of sucks because you can only do this once. Yep. Yeah. Do you want me to comment on that? That's all we want. Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think, um, I, yeah, I, I, I really like that model because of the simplicity of it, right? And you, the, you pointed out, mm -hmm. you, I mean, I think you did a really great job articulating both the upsides and the downsides of it. The one thing I would add is the token technically could be sold a lot more than once. It could only be sold back to the protocol once, right? Like yeah, to get burned. Market for it. But there could be secondary markets, and right. so mm -hmm. hypothetically, right? Yeah, hypothetically, you know, if you if you had good actors in the system who 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 wanted to keep the reserve large, they would not sell it back to the protocol. They would just sell it on secondary markets. Right, right. Well, if you do sell it back to the protocol, you're not reducing the value of Correct. other people's tokens because you only get your share. And actually, it's, this is kind of following the same game theory as the MKR token. You actually want everyone yeah. else yeah. to burn their token because then you get a more of a share of the future yeah. upside potential. But, but from a, but from a so that's protocol kind of cool. growth perspective, we would want to keep that reserve large right yeah but yes. but if you would as hold that token possible. yeah right. you want to you want to be the last person to sell it because you would never sell it then because mm -hmm. because then if, if there's only one token left you own the whole protocol it's yeah. your protocol it's kind of interesting and this is not just true for this but in crypto uh game theory systems in general like the aspect of what resembles a traditional ponzi that's kind of like extracted and applied mm -hmm. to this. And I yeah. know that's generally yeah. a negative term, but it's really important in this game theory. And I guess the reason mm -hmm. it's not a Ponzi is because there's no Bernie Madoff at the head, right? It's just the system that right. mm -hmm. um, has this kind of like reinforcing cycle in it. Um, I do think like, again, it's very interesting thinking of this stuff in con like it's very, the, the composability is super, super interesting. And I think it's super, super futuristic and amazing. I'm just I'm just really nervous about you know the the house of cards scenario that could be stacking up. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I mean that's just again my that's my biggest uh, worry in in kind of 
you know, seeing these yeah. things happen. Uh, yeah. But it is very interesting for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I think I'll, I'll do two comments. Like one comment on the on the on the on the on the, the Ponzi slash lottery thing. I think part of what's what I see as interesting and kind of fundamental to what we're doing is we're taking these these financial ideas like Ponzi schemes and um, and lotteries that are very very stigmatized and overlooked and basically saying like hey let's like take a second look at it and see like what's actually good about that or like what actually works in that model and I'm not saying we want to do a Ponzi scheme that's not what I'm saying but I'm saying if you just ignore it, if you're just like, oh, lotteries are dumb. They're played by dumb people. People are so condescending about lotteries. They call them a stupid tax. And I'm like, it is not a stupid tax. It's actually very. It is a stupid tax. But even in in strictly rational economic terms, it is. But we're not strictly rational economic people. And, And so if you look at the people who are buying lottery tickets in the situations they're in, they're not stupid. They're making actually a very rational choice. Um, in not economically rational, but in terms of like the whole life. And so I think what we're trying to say is like, hey, let's take a look at these things that have been such an important part of our financial history for all of humanity. And like, let's see what's actually good about them. And let's try to like build a positive some financial tool around it. Um, yeah. So, uh, but but to, to, to your second thing around, you know, the house of cards. Um, yeah. I mean, th- th- that that is definitely something that keeps me up at night. And I, <laughs> I think like it's... Uh, mm-hmm. It does feel like it's a matter of, of when, not if, there will be some sort of like large failure in the DeFi ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And that, that'll always be the case, probably. There's always going to be a looming hack on the horizon. But the thing is, like, you can't let that stop you. Like, this is the Faustian bargain of a smart contract platform. And if we let smart contract risk, risk, risk stop us, then we'll never do anything, yeah. right? Like, you have, to be, you have to be able to take risk, and that's what finance is all about. Yeah. The one thing I like, the one thing I like about uh, the finite token model is it kind of fits into the model of pool together, yeah. where pool together is a no loss lottery. The finite token model is a no loss yep. token, and so if you submit five die and you get five tokens, then you are always promised that amount of die or greater. And so it kind of fits into the ethos of the protocols, like hey, like we're we're gonna sell you this speculative token, but you're guaranteed to always have at least the value that you put into it. So I I, I kind of like yeah. that. Yeah, I, I, it's my, you know, I, I think I need to try to think through the math a bit, a bit more, but it is my intuitively preferred option. And I think a big, big part of that is mm-hmm. because of the simplicity of it. Like, I really like simple products. Mm-hmm. And if I can't understand them, I don't assume other people are going to be able to understand them. Um, and so um, I, uh, I, I, I do really like the simplicity of the finite supply. There's something about that, like, right, that, that kind of mirrors off Bitcoin, like 21 million, like we could have 21 million tokens. Mm-hmm. It, it mm-hmm. is becoming pretty obvious that a lot of these kind of uh, DeFi experimental game theory mechanisms are really, they are playing off of this scarcity factor and burning of a s- theoretically scarce asset yeah. um, as part of it. Um, something also that um, kind of jumps out at me is at least, it seems as though like, I, I'm, I'm kind of confused a little bit by the Ethereum community because there's a lot of like hate towards Bitcoin because Bitcoin has a very strong speculative aspect to it, especially right now. Mm-hmm. Like, speculation is 80%, if not more, of the use case for Bitcoin right now. And I think that's a good thing. And it, it, um, it's interesting seeing you really embrace that too, because speculation is mm-hmm. inherent in human beings. Yeah, and like, for they sure. want to speculate. And that, and like, taking on risk and speculating is how we move things forward. Yep. Um, so it is interesting to see you really embrace that um, aspect and not be super scared of like this speculative aspect in moving these protocols forward and gaining adoption because of speculation. Yeah, yeah, and I, but I would say like what we're doing is is we are u- using speculation but taking the loss out, right? And that's like if you look mm-hmm. at 2017, like everyone came to crypto because of speculation. Essentially, they're like, oh, I want to win a prize. Like I want to buy something really low and sell it really high. And everyone in 2018 left crypto because of loss. Because they were like, like, this isn't working. You know, I bought at 20000 and it's now at, you know, 9000 um, And so, like, what we're trying to do is, like, okay, let's take the one thing that's been proven to bring people to crypto, which is speculation, and let's take away the one thing that's proven to drive people away, which is loss. And, like, let's combine it into a product that is speculative in nature but has no loss attached to it. Well, but you're also not, like, you're, you're not really fully, you know, disclosing the real contract risk that is the loss factor like there's no yeah there's no there's no like yeah. perfect this there's is no way to this, do that, there's though. no loss like the, there yeah, is yeah. no financial yeah. loss in the system but yeah. there is the risk there's of a black these, swan 
Yeah, this yeah. kind of like black swan risk. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's like important for you to disclose this black swan risk? Like, you know, in yeah. almost like business-like terms where like you have a disclaimer about this or is that something that um, you've thought about? Yeah, I mean, so it's a question of like how front and center do you make those disclosures? So like if you read our FAQ, there's a question about like how secure is this? And it basically is like, we've done everything we can, but like this is a risky product. This is built on risky products. Um, I can't remember verbatim what it says, but it's pretty it's pretty transparent and clear. Um, so that's in our FAQ. You know, should we make that like the thing that you have to click before you join the pool? Maybe like that might be something we should talk about. But um, so I think it's like those those risks are disclosed and we do disclose them. But um, uh, but yeah, they um, it, it, yeah, it's a que- it's a question of like where are you disclosing it and how and how prominent is that right now? No. And and so like right now where it is, it's like it's on in the FAQ. Um, but it's not it's not like front and center and it's in like obviously the terms of service and things like that okay let's get into the second token model and yeah. so this token model <laughs> totally is, uh, derailed the, the token model conversation <laughs> uh so the second token model is, is what's called a bonding curve yep. model uh and so the contract for a bonding curve is set at genesis for a specific price and so say the, to- the bonding curve will issue you one pool together token for one die and someone comes and buys that one pull together token and submits that one die, and then the die goes to the reserve. Uh, and now the uh, bonding curve updates, and it will now sell one pull together token for one die and one penny. Uh, and then some guy comes in and buys 50,000 pull together tokens, and then all 50,000 uh, die gets submitted to the reserve, and then the contract updates, and the uh, pull together token is now selling for one die, 1.5 die. Uh, and so what you can do is you can always buy or sell tokens back to the bonding curve at the, the determined price, kind of like how Uniswap determines a price uh, by an algorithm based off of how much is in the reserve. Yep. Uh, and so as more and more people buy more and more, more pool together tokens, um, they can, the, the price of a pool together token according to the reserve um, should always go up if people are buying more. And so instead of instead of burning your token in this model, you sell your token back to the reserve. And so if people buy like five million pool together tokens and there's like twenty-five million die put into the reserve, um, that means you can get uh, two twenty-five. I, I just lost that math. But like if you were the yeah. first person to yeah. put that die in, you can sell back to the contract for a multiplier based off of the the curve yep. and it's an exponential curve and so the it goes up and up and up faster and faster and faster the more people put their die into the bonding curve and so this actually might be the way that pool together maybe um gets funded by in some venture capital or yeah. from from however is by uh saying well we're gonna have a founder's reward and give us access to the first X percentage number of tokens. Like we're gonna we're gonna sell the first one thousand pool together tokens to us, and then we'll open up the bonding curve to everyone else. That might might be a funding funding model for you guys. That gets into securities details, and I'm not a lawyer. I'm just yep. a, a podcaster, but worth considering. Uh, and and the cool part about this is that the bonding curve will always let you sell pool together tokens, no matter what time time of the year it is. Like any anytime somebody wants more pool together tokens, they can go buy them. Uh, and so if Ethereum grows to millions and millions of users uh, and pool together grows to have a larger and larger reserve, like you're not locked into having that one token sale event. You can always sell more tokens if people have the demand for them. Uh, and I really like that flexible yeah. supply. It reduces the speculation, I think, initially, but it does add more die, total die to the reserve which means that the reserve is larger, which means you're going to sell more tickets, which means more more die is going to the, go to the reserve, which maybe that re- return speculation to the token. A lot more complexity, but I personally like that model. That's my favorite one. I think, yeah, so I, I guess like what I would challenge you on with it is I feel, to me, it's more speculative because mm-hmm. you have the possibility, there, there, there's sort of like the, you know, the unisox thing. <laughs> Like you have the possibility of the price going up for the token very quickly. And then mm-hmm. people who bought in early sell back and then the price goes down very quickly. And mm-hmm. so I actually see it as more speculative. I also see it also introduces the possibility of principal loss, right? 
So mm, with fixed supply, loss. there's no principal loss no matter what happens. With this, there is a possibility you buy the token for a very high price. It never comes back to that price, and you have to sell it back to the protocol at a, at a lower price. So I, and I do uh, totally agree with you on the flexibility of, you know, in the long term, being able to grow it to hundreds of millions, billions in the reserve. But I do also, on the other hand, think that we might be able to achieve an escape velocity with a fixed reserve. So, like, if we do 21 million, mm. like, die, um, that might be enough that we would be getting enough yield on the pool that the pool would just continue to grow because it would be so large, people wouldn't necessarily... Um, people wouldn't necessarily be looking at as much at like the effective APR. They'd be looking more at like this massive amount of money that's being distributed. Um, so I don't know. I, I, yeah, that, that, those, are my, those are my reasons for preferring the fixed token. But I think that like we have to dive deeper into, into the kind of the math of it all. Because, you know, with mm -hmm. the bonding curve, it's going to come down to, you know, where does it start? How quickly does it grow? Th those types of things. Right. The other reason why I like the bonding curve is because I think it could be integrated into other protocols mm. uh existing protocols but also future protocols yeah. more easily than just a fixed supply token because the fixed supply token is like kind of the end of the road there's not yeah. much more that you can do with it but the bonding curve uh kind of is feels like like kind of like an api for other for other projects or protocols yeah. like other people it turns money uh, pool together into its own money lego that lets people kind of plug into the bonding curve um, based on certain parameters. And so, so that's kind of why I like that, that open-endedness to, to uh, the token. So uh, quick quick question. Uh, let's say theoretically you're, we're talking about the first option, this kind of like fixed supply tokenized option. Yeah. Um, would those tokens be divisible or would they be kind of like a fixed, like this is one share? Uh, well, they'd be divisible. I would say that, yeah. I mean, there's yeah. no reason yeah, yeah, why yeah. it wouldn't be. I mean, be. there would be, yeah. Because those would be just... just uh, like ERC twenty or ERC, where mm -hmm. ERC seven 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 is what we're using for the um, pool tokens mm -hmm. on the other side of the equation. Mm -hmm. So something like that. The tickets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. like in my mind, I would I think fixed supply with you know kind of almost unlimited divisibility kind of takes away that that limitation of a fixed supply fixed supply aspect because it appreciates the divisions. You know, there's more and more divisions that you could play with theoretically. Yeah, but the only thing is like that's if you're reselling it, but you wouldn't be able to get more money into the reserve. That would be the thing. Outside of the actual process happening. Outside right? the actual process, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't be able to get more but again, I think if the reserve if the initial if the initial funding of the reserve is large enough, I'm not sure if that matters. Because I think you just get to a point where it's like, you know, twenty million It's grown either way. And then, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I still like the bonding model because it feels like a game. <laughs> it feels like a fun, a fun game to play. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's more fun. It's more. I, I would say it's more speculative. I know you uh -huh. said it's not, but I, I right. think it's actually more speculative. It sounds more speculative. Right. Sounds a lot more explosive potential. As well. I guess. Yeah. I guess if there's uh, loss involved, there's thing. by definition probably more speculation. I mean, one good thing about that though is it, it does, in a certain sense, if it is speculative and it goes up really quickly, it does actually incentivize people to put the, hold their money in there because mm -hmm. they don't want to sell it right. back until right. until they're getting their return. Mm -hmm. Totally. Um, I mean, so you could also you could also do both. You could actually have two separate reserves based off of the two token sale models, and those reserves yeah. both go to compound, and both those reserves' interest both go to the winning. So you could actually have both models. <laughs> you could. <laughs> and you could actually do like 10% goes to each, right? Uh -huh. Like 10% goes to one mm -hmm. and 10% goes to the other. Um, yeah, you could. That would be, that sounds like to me more interesting, more from a theoretical perspective than from an actual like go-to-market right, perspective, yeah. uh -huh. but... That is that is interesting. Um, and then, so I have a quick question and like comment. I've you know I, I talk with a lot of like people in the Bitcoin maximalist community. Uh, obviously, they're a lot more skeptical of you know what's going on here. And a lot of what I've heard as a criticism is that like Ethereum and DeFi is like skeuomorphic technology. Hmm. And what I mean by that, when cars were first invented, they had like. Uh, they almost like set them up like uh, like a, a horse carriage, right? Mm -hmm. Like they had no mm -hmm. idea that no, you don't need like freaking reins for the car. That's <laughs> yeah, not yeah. how you're going to steer, yeah. right? It's going to be totally different. And I, I just get the sense like DeFi is being built on uh, this kind of like let's improve what is working right now mm -hmm. instead of like let's invent reinvent how finance and 
people viewing, like measuring value will look like in the future. And this seems like, you know, it's kind of along that line of like, you know, it's perpetuate, gosh, I can't, uh, perpetuating uh, this kind of skew-morphic uh, mentality within the people in the, the DeFi community. Is that something, like, what does that make you, what's your reaction to that? I, I, think, I think it's a really interesting question because I, I, I think about a lot, like, creating new economic software. My reaction is that innovative solutions that are new often they, they, they first look skeuomorphic to use your words. So like I'll use the example of Uber. At, at face value, when you first inter- get introduced to Uber, it's basically just a taxi that you hail on your phone, right? It's, it's, it's basically just like taking that old school concept and putting it into the digital world. There's nothing special about it. But then after you use it for a little while, you start realizing like, oh, actually, like I don't even have to be in the car. Like I could order a car for someone else, mm-hmm. or like, oh, I don't have to get a rental car anymore. I've done I that before. Do this, or I don't I've, have to own I've a car. I've sent my keys home to my dad in Uber because like, I needed that to happen. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, and then you start saying like, oh, actually, I could use this for transportation. I could use this to order food, mm-hmm. like et cetera, et cetera. And so, but 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 I think if you people have to first understand it as an improved version of what they already have, and then they start realizing actually, whoa, there's all these other things we can do with it, and so. I, I I ultimately do see us building new a, a, a new economic software a new a totally new thing, but I see it um, being presented to the world in the context of something they already understand an improved version of something they already understand. And as more people get familiar with this, they're then they're going to start saying like, oh, and we already have this happening, right? They're like, oh, we could use pool together, but like the money could go to charity, mm-hmm. or like the money could go to an investment account, or like there's all these different use cases for like pooled funds. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 exciting to us, and that's what we want to have a part in 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 building the value or building the platform to support that too. A pool together fork that where money goes to charity. That's actually really cool because like you could yeah. go out and uh, like go to Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates and be like, hey, donate money. Yeah. But you actually get the money back whenever you want, and all you have to do is donate to the reserve, and we'll give it back to you if you yep. ever want it. So you're not actually donating any money but you're donating your interest to fund this lottery where all that interest goes to to uh, to charities. And so that's a really interesting way to game people into paying money to charities. I really like that. Yeah, yeah. And that's ultimately, like, we don't, so our, like, Pool Together is not a no-loss lottery company. Pool Together is ultimately a, a new financial primitive, which is this, this multi-party pools to do all sorts of different mm-hmm. things. We've made a strategic choice that like the best way to get to that place is by, is by getting onboarding a bunch of people and, and building the largest liquidity with this specific use case. But like five, 10 year time horizon, we see those other use cases as being um, very important. This is something that has been kind of brought up a lot in context of Ethereum is like how much of a moat does Ethereum actually have in building these kind of uh, kind of new age game theoretical financial products. Yeah. Um, in your kind of, you know, adventure building this company that is really focused on like, how do we bring new financial, um, a new financial paradigm to the world? Have you considered other options or is like Ethereum just the go-to for you right now? And do you see that? If that's the case, do you see that changing? It's, it's pretty much the go-to. I'm definitely more on the, like, I'd rather fail on Ethereum than succeed on something else. I mean, I'm not quite that diehard, but I definitely aim towards that. I think that like Ethereum has absolutely incredible leadership, um, you know, particularly embodied embodied with Vitalik, but in in all the people who who contribute to the ecosystem. And I say like leadership, right? It's not they're not in control. They're not telling anyone what to do. But when I say leadership, I mean like they have Ethereum has incredible examples of people who have foregone personal gain to build something that's really useful to the world. Um, and I think like, again, I think Vitalik is like a great example of that. Um, and I am, I, I'm like, a, I'm very attracted to that. And I would hope to aspire to be like a person who is like that as well. And, um, and so, yeah. And so I think that, uh, I think Ethereum has like the right, the right culture for what, for what we're trying to build. How much of your kind of commitment to Ethereum would you characterize as being purely out of like utility and usefulness versus like ideology and like commitment to this community that you're now part of? Uh, I mean, so I, I, I should preface it by saying like I haven't 
I really haven't dove deep into any other smart contract platforms. So, so you know, say, don't like, know what I don't know. Don't the the utility creates the community, and so yeah. like the re- the reason why there's religion around Ethereum is because the utility is also there. Yeah, yeah, but you know, don't interpret what I'm saying as like a critique necessarily of other platforms because I don't, mm-hmm. I haven't looked at them. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, I've enjoyed I, I, both from a technology perspective. And from a community perspective, I've had such a good experience building on Ethereum that I've never had a reason to look at any of the other ones. That would maybe be the best way to say it. And I've never come Mm -hmm. across a product that was built on something else that was like super intriguing to me the way that the ones that I've found on Ethereum are. Mm -hmm. So uh, when I kind of ask these questions, I don't mean it to criticize other protocols, but I'm trying to point out a fact of life when it comes to protocols is that they have staying power, right? Yeah. Um, and when people have already invested, have like some sort of investment or either financial time, um, community, whatever, in uh, a thing, like it's hard to move them. Yeah. Uh, so that's a fact of life. And yeah. It, that definitely fuels my, my Bitcoin investment, but I'm yeah. sure it also and should fuel y- your Ethereum investment if you're bullish on Ethereum. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, it's not necessarily about the shiniest, fastest car. It's kind of, the, it's a nuanced subject. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I love Bitcoin. Bitcoin was my on-ramp to Ethereum, and I still am, uh, I still love Bitcoin, but it's, it's just, I can't, to my knowledge, I can't, like, build things like this on Bitcoin. I think that's going to change, but we'll see. Yeah. Only time will tell. You can build it right now on ETH. Um, I want to bring up one last component uh, that I didn't, uh, about the token models that I didn't put into the article, and I don't really... Uh, want to spend too much time on that subject unless it's really intriguing to you, Leighton. But like the concept of turning the pool together token that that backs the um, that backs the pool could be like a DAO token. Yep. Like you could, this could be a voting token to allocate money to like yeah. marketing. Um, like maybe let's spend like a thousand dollars to make to put banner ads somewhere. Um, so that's another way to like kind of make the the reserve more useful. Um, I don't know if you've thought about that before. It's just something something I think it's worth chewing on. Yeah, it is worth trying. We thought a little bit about that. Um, you know, and, and one thing, one idea would be too, uh, is the, if it was like a DAO token, maybe they could dictate what is that percentage that goes to the reserve. And I, hypothetically, you know, those holders would be incentivized to make sure that's the right percentage to make sure the pool is still an attractive value prop, as, as opposed to it being locked at 10%, right? Like it'd be interesting to decentralize that variable, governance of that mm-hmm. variable. Um yeah, but we haven't we haven't dove too deep into that. Um, you know, the thing that we didn't touch on with the fixed token is that I believe that would be categorized, it could be categorized at least as a debt token, not as a equity token, which would, from a regulatory perspective, really be mm. helpful. Mm, interesting. Yeah, true. Leighton, when we chatted a while ago, you talked, you told me about some some things you, the pool together team is building, some infrastructure you guys are building out. You talked about pods. Can you just kind of give our listeners the direction of pool together and where you guys are looking to take this application? Yeah, I, I mean, I think the short term direction is we want to uh, enable people to essentially interact, essentially pick the level of risk reward they want. So what that means is we're tokenizing the tickets, and then also enabling people to link their tickets together. So the idea is that if you're if you're more conservative and you're like, hey, actually, I just want like a 20% chance to win a smaller prize, you can link your tickets with a bunch of other people, and then uh, if anyone in your in your pod, what we're calling it, wins, the prize is split among all the people pro rata um, in that pod. So you can pool within the pool. Essentially, yes, you Yo can dog. pool within the pool. It's, a, it's a, like a mining it's pool. Like a yeah, mining it's like a mining pool. It's like a mining pool. Alternatively, you could pool. be like, oh, no, I, I actually just want a really high risk, but if I win, I really want to get all the money myself. So you can just continue to interact with the protocol that way. Like solo mining. Like solo mining, yeah. But we think that's like super important because, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, because it's not it's not that much fun if you only have 10 die and there's 250,000 right now. And it's like, eh, your chances of winning are not actually very good at all. And uh, and so it would be a lot more fun if you could say, hey, I want to link my 10 die with other people. And I'm essentially then getting a guaranteed interest rate that's higher than compound that just is uh, accrued non-linearly. It's accrued irregularly, which actually makes it more fun. Um, so that's that's like our short term um our short-term product uh, product goals. The last subject I wanted to bring up is uh, how uh, Pool Together is a decentralized finance product and not a decentralized gambling product. And so I was talking with Scott Lewis, who runs DeFi Pulse, because I, I messaged him on Twitter and, and was like, 
yo, uh, Pool Together isn't on DeFiPulse.com. Um, and DeFiPulse is where I go to see um, what yeah. I view as the leaderboards of value lockup. Uh, and so you can see which of these applications have locked up the most um, Ether or DAI. And Pool Together is right in that category. I view Pool Together yep. as a DAI lockup game, but it's not on... Uh, it's not on DeFi Pulse. So I met with Scott, and, and he he, re he he thought that uh, that lottery games or or speculation or gambling doesn't belong in the category of decentralized finance. Uh, I I think he, he maybe has already changed his mind if he's listened to this podcast, as we've talked about how it's basically subsidized yeah. compound, and there are these de-risking tools. But can you give the case that Pool Together is actually a financial application and not a gambling application? Yeah, I mean, a gambling application by definition has a negative expected return. And by definition, uh, pool together does not. So that's like the strict the strict definitions of it, right? And um, pool together is not, it's not a lottery. It's It, it does not require um, consideration like a lottery requires um, to to join it because you simply have, uh, you simply deposit your existing money into it. And so... Um, I do think that, you know, we do struggle with that perception and we certainly don't want people to see it as a gambling product, but, um, but at the same time, we do have a mission to help people who are attracted to gambling products, save their money. And so we are trying to like walk that line of saying like, Hey, we want to be attractive to people who get excited about lotteries, even though this is not a lottery. Um, and I think some people maybe who haven't looked deeply at what we're doing can kind of just see, Oh, it's a, it's a lottery, like brush it off. There's lots of lotteries. Um, but yeah, I mean, defini definitionally, uh, a gambling product is not positive sum. Um, like a gambling product does not just, just a gambling product involves loss of principle, and and that's not pooled together. Leighton, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. This was a, a great episode. If people want to learn more about Pool Together or follow Pool Together or follow you, where should they go? Uh, yeah, if you go to pooltogether.us um, or hopefully .com by the time you're listening to this, uh, you uh, at the bottom of the page, um, there's links to our Discord, Twitter, etc. Um, and then me personally, I'm Lay2000Pounds on Twitter. That's Lay2000Pounds. Ton, so... Um, that's my that's my nice. Twitter name. I was wondering. And uh, also the same on Telegram. Cool. All right, guys. You can follow the podcast at POV Crypto Pod. You can follow me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. If you want more of this content, read the article I put out on my Medium specifically about this subject, which is why Layton is here at all. Um, so good article. I, I was pretty happy with it. Uh, Christian, where can they where can they find you? Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. Uh, make sure to check out our YouTube page. I recently tried out DeFi, mm -hmm. uh, so you can watch me going through it and my experiences going through it. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter too. I will talk about my experience <laughs> with DeFi on Ethereum uh, there. But yeah, don't forget, subscribe to our YouTube channel, five-star reviews on iTunes or Google or wherever you listen to this. Make sure to interact with us on Twitter and all that good stuff. Love you, fam. All right. Thanks, Leighton. Yep. See you guys. Thank you.